Oh, great God, we do pray that you would be our vision. May our eyes be fixed on you, on your truths. May we see Christ as we, as we open your word today. May we hear the words that you have, you have given us, the very words of Christ, and may they, may they minister to us. And Father, may you be brought glory each time a, a crooked person, a crooked back, a weighed down sinner is brought straight up by the power of Christ. Father, and if you would do that today, we would, we would praise your holy name. And we're thankful, Father, for all of those, all of the making straight what is crooked that you have done and will do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. As I'm sure most of you know, we have a couple of guests. My son, Jonathan, was in a very significant car accident on Monday. Uh, he has, his femur was broken, um, which again, most of you know, and he's recovering. And I think what, what I want to uh, give testimony to is all the many things to be thankful for inside of this. Uh, it's interesting, even out of the psalm this morning of praising God, God was very kind to Jonathan to have him be alive. Uh, the, the, the wreck that he was in was significant. His car was totaled and the front end smashed in. And you know, In God's providence, he was belted and the airbags deployed and uh, a broken femur is pretty bad, but he has more time. Another thing I can be thankful for, I can praise God for, is that it gave uh, a police officer named Lance a doctor named Dr. Miles and multiple nurses and aides and um, food service people uh, an opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ that otherwise would not have received the gospel of Jesus Christ from the mouth of my son and from my mouth from, from tracts that we were able to distribute in many ways the gospel went forth and I'm very thankful, very thankful for that very thankful for the for a, a deep level of repentance that that it brought into my son's life. And one of the very first things he told me when I was in the emergency room is before he even went back for surgery, he was he was weeping and we've been going through Luke twelve, as we all know, and we've been Jesus has been talking about being ready and uh, you don't know when you're going to die or when he's going to return and, and he had conviction of the sin in his life that 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 he he doesn't want to die. He didn't want to die. He thankfully didn't die and stand before Christ. While he continues to confess a, a, a belief that he is right with God and would be in glory, he did not want to stand in front of God in the condition he was in in some of the sin in his life. And it was a useful tool for repentance in his life that I'm, I'm thankful for. Uh, I'm thankful for um, Jonathan's mother. Uh, great care that she decided. My wife, the the... the the care and the comfort that she desired to give her son in a way that she really hasn't. You know, we adopted Jonathan at age 19, a grown man, and, and some of those maternal instincts aren't the same. Well, when he was in need, my wife, my wife really has cared for him and comforted him greatly, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. 
I'm thankful for an opportunity for our household to care for someone again. We just got done caring for Kenny, as you all know, and, and it was a great joy and, and a great blessing in our family, and we get an opportunity to do that again. I'm watching my mom's maternal and, and uh, nursing instincts. She's a great caregiver and takes great joy in giving care, and it gives us all the opportunity, Sophia an opportunity, and myself and my wife to care for Jonathan, and, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. So it's a great blessing to be able to serve people when they're in need. And I'm thankful also for anyone in here, and if you haven't yet, maybe today you will, uh, remember the brevity of life. Okay, Jonathan's alive. That car wreck was bad. It, it could be done. We've, we've, we've had a loss of life here recently. We had a, a, a close to loss of life again. Life is a vapor. You hear these things. It's true. You're not promised tomorrow. And I'm thankful that God gives us that reminder through things like this. That you're one left-hand turn with an oncoming car away from a broken femur or, or death. And, and, that, and that we all must be ready to stand before God. And I'm thankful for this reminder again in this particular moment that everyone who knows Jonathan and saw the car and thinks about it for a little bit can, can remember that life is but a vapor. It is truly brief, and it can go away at any moment. And it does go away in a moment often. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all of those things. I, I, I praise God for it. I know, and I know Jonathan is, is praising God for it. He's got a lot of, I, look, I'm thankful for the, 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 the three months no weight bearing, the six to 12 month recovery time, the time it's going to afford him to, to focus on the things of God in a way he can't when he's working full time. He has the opportunity to, and you can be praying for him that he would lean into the Lord uh, as he heals physically, that he would grow spiritually in, in the downtime that he has. So you can join me in praising God for all of those things. Anything else that you can praise God for through that time, through this time. All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. We will be in verses 10 through 17 for the past three months, ending just last week. We've been looking at a message that Jesus gave in Judea months before Calvary, uh, three to six months before his death, and this message that he gave to tens of thousands of people. Remember, he's got a great following. Jesus has a huge following because he's doing all these miracles. He's done them all in Galilee, and word is spread. And now he's coming to Judea, and he's doing these, these miraculous things, and then he's speaking in a way no one's ever heard speaking before. And they're, they're accepting all these miracles. They're kind of rejecting his message. Well, this message in, in, um, that he gave in chapter 12, remember he started out warning them about hypocrisy, warning them about the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy, being, being an actor on a stage, uh, having a false religion. He then, he then explained about not fearing man, but fearing God, God who can put your body, can take your body and then put your soul in hell. Fear God. Believe in Jesus Christ. Fear God. Believe in Christ and confess Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then as he's giving these eternal realities, remember he gets interrupted and then he, by the guy who says, tell my brother to give me my money, my inheritance. And then he gives a, a parable about the rich ruler. 
And he warns about temporal focus, not an eternal focus. Being rich towards oneself and not being rich toward God. And he, and he gives the example of the lilies and, and how they, they're cared for and, and, and how, and how the, uh, the ravens don't have to worry about what they eat. And then he, he says, don't fear, little flock. God your Father, for he's talking to the disciples, he's talking to believers, God your Father, the great shepherd, the king of the universe, has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Focus eternally. Focus on his kingdom, on his kingship, on his righteousness. These things you'll have. Don't focus on what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. Don't focus on temporal realities. Focus on eternity. And and then he then he goes into uh, a long, a, a few different ways of saying you must be ready. Be ready. You don't know when Christ's going to return. You don't know when you're going to breathe your last. Be ready. And he talks about the servants, the slaves, and there's four types of servants. One will be rewarded. Three will have punishment. And he's warning them all about that. And, and he then goes on to say, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. I came to bring the fire of God's wrath and judgment. I'm going to have to go through that and then that's what I'm bringing. I've come to split families. Christ will divide. He says, I will divide even households. And then the last thing he talks about uh, in that, that sermon, well, two things. One, he, he says to make sure you settle with God as you're walking towards a meeting with God, that you settle your account, that you know you're a guilty sinner, and that you look to Christ to be forgiven. And then he talks about the, the Galileans who are less religious and the and those from Jerusalem that died suddenly and don't think they were any worse than you because they died you too are going to die and unless you repent you will likewise perish you will perish in a moment without forgiveness for your sins and you must repent so the urgent need for repentance so he's finished all of that that's what we've looked at for the last three months and now the scene shifts to a synagogue on the Sabbath, uh, and Jesus Christ making straight what is crooked. So stand, and I will read verses 10 through 17 of Luke 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. You may be seated. A number of things we're going to see in today's passage. Um, one, one of the things that uh, we'll see, we, while we, we can't be dogmatic about the faith of this woman, there's really nothing in it that tells us about her faith, what we can see is we can see it as a word picture of how Christ saves. It's a, it's a very good word picture of how he does that. We're going to see this 
this Jesus make this this woman straight who was under Satan's bondage. He's going to miraculously set her free. We're going to see how these self-righteous religious legalists cared far more for their religion than they did for people. We're going to we're going to receive instruction. Uh, they receive and we receive cons- cons- uh, instruction concerning that Sabbath of Judaism and their distortion of God's intention for the Sabbath. I, I, ho- I also hope what we will see is the incredible, extraordinary power of Jesus on display. That we actually will think about what's taking place in that synagogue and we'll see the extraordinary power of Jesus on display that hearing that we might believe that he is the Christ we might believe that he is the son of God and by believing in that we would have eternal life see we Christians we get to see the power of Jesus on display we get to be reminded that he is the Christ he is the son of God and in him we have life eternal And for others, if you could see the power of Christ on display through the Word of God, believe that He is the Christ, He is the Messiah. Believe that He's the Son of God, and believing in Him, you can have life eternal, forgiveness of your sins. I'm hopeful that's what we will see. So in verse 10, it starts with Jesus teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. This was a very regular practice of Jesus, as we've seen in the Gospels. In the three years of his outward ministry on earth, in Galilee and now in Judea, he he preached in the synagogues. Now, a synagogue, synagogue, so a synagogue, that word just means a bringing together, gathering as of fruits, a contracting. So the word in and of itself has no spiritual meaning, kind of like church, ecclesia. It was just a a word, and this word simply meant a gathering of things together. The, the word became an assembly of Jews formerly gathered together to offer prayers and listen to the reading and expositions of the scriptures. So specifically, a synagogue was where the Jews would gather for, to offer prayers and listen to the reading and exposition of the scriptures. Assemblies of that sort were held every Sabbath and feast day name transferred to an assembly of Christians formerly gathered together for religious purposes. So that word, synagogue, is actually used of Christians in James 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes into your assembly, the word for assembly is there, synagogue, and a poor man, shabby clothing, also comes in. So the synagogue was similar different, and we'll look at a little bit, but the synagogue was similar to what we have here. They were local assemblies or local gatherings of Jewish people. Uh, There was, they they originated uh, in the time of the Babylonian captivity in 586, after the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Started having these smaller groups gather. There was some 250-ish synagogues in Galilee. So remember, Jesus went around Galilee going to the synagogues. There was like 250 of them. In Jerusalem, there were some 500 synagogues. So a bunch of different local assemblies that would gather together. There was no priest present. There was no sacrifices. 
The temple is where they did the religious stuff. This is just where they would gather to hear teaching and exposition and reading of the word. It was also like a community center. So they, throughout the week, they would gather there and there'd be teaching. They had not small groups. They would get together and they would teach and they would preach throughout, throughout the week in the synagogue. They, they, again, there was no priest. There was no sacrifices. They did have a board of elders. And, and much of the New Testament church actually patterns itself after the synagogues. They had a board of elders. Again, no priests. They were lay elders. One of them, the archisunagoge, the, the leader, which we'll see in here, the ruler of the synagogue, there was a lay person, a lead elder, if you will, that took care of the, the, um, the practices of that local synagogue, who would preach, who would teach, what would go on. So that's what a synagogue. So the synagogue was this assembly of Jewish people that had gathered together to hear the exposition of the scriptures uh, and, and a reading of the scriptures. Now, again, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So the fact that it was on the Sabbath, that carries extra meaning. It wasn't a Wednesday. It wasn't a midweek get-together. It was the Sabbath. It was a specific special day. There were other days where teaching took place, but this was the, the Sabbath time. Seventh day of each week, which was a sacred festival on which the Israelites were get, uh, required to abstain from all work. The institution of the Sabbath, the law for keeping holy every seventh day of the week. So this Sabbath was something that was followed every seventh day, every Saturday. Every seventh day, there was a special day where they would come together and they were to do no work because this Sabbath was actually initiated. It was instituted by God at creation. So it was modeled by him for his people before the law was ever given Genesis 2-3 so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation so we know that God did not need to rest in the way that we need to rest but he was he was modeling something that was part of man's rhythm of life a seventh day of rest the Sabbath day is one of the ten commandments uh God wrote on the tablets at, with Moses. He wrote his own figure, gave the tablets to the people via Moses. The law that was written on their hearts was put onto tablets. And this is one of the ten that was received. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Entering into this day of rest was one of God's ten commandments. One of the ten commandments that Jesus fulfilled. Now in Deuteronomy you see what's Deuteronomy, second law, but really more repeat of the law. It's not a new law, it's a repeat of the law. In Deuteronomy, when, when God was, when Moses was instructing the next generation, the second generation that was going to go into the promised land, and he was giving them the law again, repeating the law. Similar, uh, it starts in Deuteronomy 5, six days you should labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. There's a little bit of an addition here to what we saw in Exodus. And he's telling them, this Sabbath was to be observed by Jews as a memorial of the Exodus. Entering into a rest. He's saying, keep doing this. You do this. You, you remember this, and you remember your deliverance from Egypt. Remember that, that you had been delivered out of slavery by God, and always remember that reality on the seventh day of the week, is what they had been told. Now, as we know, and we'll look at more later, the Jews had had created a a long list of of Shabbat law, 39 different laws in their Mishnah, just a a, a plethora of different laws with subsections and headings of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, all from this simple language. Simple language God gave them, they had turned it into something far different. And so the Sabbath that they were celebrating was not the Sabbath that God had called them to. They were, they were celebrating a Sabbath full of laws and rituals that God hadn't even given them. And we're going we're gonna to see Jesus address that. So, so Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And what was he teaching? Well, we know from Luke 4, he was preaching the kingdom of God. We know from, from throughout what Jesus went around Galilee and then Judea doing was preaching the kingdom of God. Of God, he was he was teaching from the Old Testament scriptures, and and he was he was showing them that their Judaism was worthless, that they were blind and they were poor, and they were in need of forgiveness for their sins. He was he was preaching eternally eternity with God in heaven. His kingdom has nothing to do with your bloodlines or your religion, and that's what he was teaching. It was it was going around. So he's. So he's teaching in the synagogue. He's teaching the kingdom of God. And behold, there was a crooked crooked woman present. And behold, that word there, edu, it's a word that is to call attention to something. It's it's like yellow highlighter. It's it's to make sure that there's an event that should be noticed. Okay, so Luke says, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling asenia, incapacity, a state of weakness or limitation bodily diseases or ailments. There was a woman who had a bodily ailment. She had a physical bodily ailment she'd been dealing with for 18 years. She was bent over, zugupto, to be bent over in a double position, to bend completely forwards, to be bowed together. She was bent over and could not, anakupto, straighten up. So, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on a Sabbath. And there's a woman there who is bent over and cannot straighten up. This woman walks in or is sitting. She's in the synagogue. Bent over for 18 years. Can't look up. And that's 
who's in the synagogue. Now, she's always looking down at the ground. She can't even look up at the sun unless she were to lay on her side. She is facing the ground for 18 years, bent over, weighed down by this crooked back that she has. And in Judaism, what would be thought of her? She was cursed. She was cursed because of sin. Who sinned? Her or her parents? She is a sinner. She is a dirty, rotten sinner. And she's hideous to look at. I don't know if you've ever seen an old person that has a severe crooked back. Like that actually it can't raise up. It's, it's hard to look at. So this woman is, is thought to be a sinner by all these self-righteous Jews that are there celebrating their Sabbath. And, and she, would have been, she would have been abhorred, hideous. Not, no one in here looks as hideous as this woman would have looked, unsightly. And to boot, they would have thought, that is a wicked, wretched sinner. And next we see Jesus sets her straight. And behold, there was a woman who had, been a dis- who had, a, who had, had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. So Jesus is teaching, sitting, because that's what he would do. He would be sitting there teaching, and this hideous woman would be somewhere, and he would call her over. And here she would come. Can you imagine what the people in this synagogue thought? What is he doing? What is this, this vile, hideous woman being called over to our teacher for? The Archisagune would have been saying, what am I done? I brought this guy in to teach, and I know he's got a big following. He's doing miracles, and everybody wants to hear him, but now he's calling this hideous woman over to him. Notice this woman didn't, hey, say, hey, can I? Jesus did it all. He looks out. He sees her either walking in as he's teaching or she's already there, and when he sees her, he has compassion on her. You see, when he saw me bent over in my sin, unable to look up, he had compassion on me, and he called me to himself. So he calls this woman over. Can you imagine the self-righteous, clean, law-abiding Jews and what their reaction would have been? (gasps) What is he doing? That woman's gross. disgusting, dreadful, grotesque woman. And Jesus calls this woman over to him who has been bent over for 18 years. Scoliosis, 60-degree scoliosis. Just over. Can't stand up. Can't look up. A miserable existence. And he said to her, woman, you are freed. Apaluo. Remember this word because it will come back later. But you are freed, apaluo, to loose from, to set free from, release or relieve from. You are released from your bodily ailment. 
You are relieved from this bodily disease, this ailment, this crooked back. Your 60-degree scoliosis is done. Again, imagine these high-minded Jews. They knew Jesus was this miracle worker. And they wanted some of what he had for them. Certainly not for this low life. And certainly not on the Sabbath. So Jesus spoke healing. He said, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her, and immediately, immediately, parakrime, krima, suddenly, at once, immediately, immediately, she was anorathao, made straight, made erect. He laid hands on her, and he said, you're, you're, you're healed. He laid hands on her and... Can you imagine this woman bent over? Can you imagine this, this crooked body that they had all seen made perfectly straight and erect by the touch of Christ? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would have been like to watch? No, no need for months of rehab. No, no surgery with the greatest back surgery in Iowa City. Simply Christ having compassion, telling her she's freed of this disease, laying his hands on her, and she stood up erect for the first time looking forward for 18 years. Immediately, just like when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and he, he stood over and rebuked the fever. Remember, who does that? He rebuked a fever. So he's rebuked a fever, and immediately she got up. I know we don't struggle with this around here, but for all of those liars that talk about being faith healers, it's often, often progressive. It's not immediate. It's not complete. The paralytic, when the, when the four friends brought the paralytic to Jesus, and he said, rise and walk. What happened? Immediately he rose up, picked up his mat, and he went home. The woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She touched his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. <laughs> Again, I want us to try to visualize. I realize I'm not the greatest of actors, but... In your mind, think about this woman. She's 18 years. They, they see her in there, and they're disgusted by her, and they believe she's a great sinner. And this guy who they brought in their synagogue to teach and to, 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 to hopefully do some miracles that would benefit them, this woman, is she's, she's, he says, you're, you're freed from this. And he lays his hands on her, and she rises up, and she becomes straight right before their eyes. And then look what the text says next. And she glorified God. Now, we don't know. She, it doesn't say she said a word. We don't know if, if she knew Jesus was God. But we do know is, whether she spoke a word or not, God was glorified. Was God not glorified as Jesus Christ laid hands on this crippled woman and brought her back to, 
to standing erect. God was glorified. We know that God is glorified when he makes what's crooked straight. This this picture I, I kept getting this week is September 10th of 2001, I was this woman. I was crooked. I was disabled. Satan had me bound. And when, when Christ had compassion on me and in essence laid hands on me, when, when God saved me, I was able to stand up and praise God. And he was glorified. She glorified God. She glorified God with the healing that she received. Surely, surely, if that were to take place in here today, we had a guest last week that's in a wheelchair. If, if somehow God would have her to stand up and walk and it, and it became apparent it was Christ touching her, I don't know how that works, but we would be praising God, would we not? When we know of a sinner that's saved, we praise God. Can you imagine that synagogue? Christ himself, he's been, he has this huge following, just preached to tens of thousands. Now he's in a room. Most of the synagogues are probably a hundred-ish people like this. And he's got this crippled woman that he makes straight. As he's sitting there telling them he is the Messiah. They need forgiveness. They're not in the kingdom of heaven because of their Jewishness. They would be praising God for this act of mercy on this woman. Right? Wouldn't they? The ruler of the synagogue is indignant. By the way, clearly miracles don't produce faith. This man just walked and watched a woman who had been bent over for 18 years stand straight up, and he did not believe. Actually, he was angry. The gospel produces faith. The good news that Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God, that's, that's what brings faith. But the ruler of the synagogue, he was indignant. Anagateo, he was indignant, angry with, incensed, irate. This leader of this synagogue was mad. He was angry. He wasn't praising God. He wasn't happy for the compassion that had been shown to this woman. He wasn't happy that she was no longer carrying this horrible burden. He was mad. He was mad because Jesus had therapoeo. He had cured her. He had restored her health on the Sabbath. This hypocrite, this religious leader, this this heavy-handed legalist was irate because Jesus dared to heal her on the Sabbath. Can you imagine? Honestly, can you imagine that? Well, be careful because sometimes we might do that. And then watch what this this Archisaguno does. Watch what he does. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath, said to the people. So, So again, this woman, this old woman, she's raised up. And the the ruler stands up immediately, says to the people, 
there are six days in which work ought be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. In front of the people, to them and to that woman, he's saying, you don't come on the Sabbath to be healed. You have six days to come. You don't come on this day. This, this broken woman who had just been healed, he's angry with her because she was healed on the Sabbath. Jesus called her and she came forward and she was made straight and now he's mad at her. And this bum is rebuking this woman and all the people there who might think they should come to be healed on that day. He quotes from the fourth commandment, doesn't he? He quotes from what we just saw in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And yet, what was the work? What was the work? This, this man had no compassion for the plight of this woman. He only had care for the man-made laws to be carried out, which couldn't even really be identified. He, he's twisting Scripture to try to make it apply to something it doesn't even apply. So Jesus had set the woman straight, and now Jesus sets these pretenders straight. He, this, this ruler of the synagogue had just rebuked this woman for being healed on the Sabbath. And then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Notice the ruler said it, and he addresses all of them. You, you pretenders. You actors. You who think you're right with God because of your birthrights and because of your following some laws. You're hypocrites. Because they're all complicit. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie, luo, same word we saw before, a version of, his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Even their own Sabbath laws, even their own Mishnah 5, 1 through 4, allowed for them to take their animals, untie them, and take them to get drink. They could go up to, what, 100 yards, a football field. They'd go that far to get water in a certain sized well, but they could take their animals. They couldn't put a saddle on them unless they'd put it there the day before. But even their own law allowed for them to take their animals and show them mercy. You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it even to water? You're allowed to untie your your ox or your donkey. You're, You're allowed to show mercy to your animals. You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water. You pretenders, you you make room in your man-made laws for, for caring for animals, but not this woman? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, a Jewish, a Jewess by birth, one of your own people, not some dirty Gentile. 
you're mad at this woman and she's one of your kin. Ought not this woman, whom Satan, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound, Deo, to tie up, cause illness, cause physical hardship. This woman who has been bound by Satan, she's had this physical hardship. Satan had this, this woman tied up with a crooked back for 18 years. God had, Satan had this man for 37 years tied up and crooked. Be loosed, again, luo. The very thing you do, you untie your animals. You unloose them. You loose them. And you're saying this woman ought not be loosed because she's no better than an animal. She's not even as good as an animal because it's a violation of your Sabbath. You don't want this fellow Jewish woman who has been tied up by Satan, untied from this bound, these chains, desmos, this bond, chains, fetters, incapacity or illness, often supernaturally induced and released. Somehow, 18 years ago, she had become crooked, and now supernaturally she's been she's been healed. Your religion that allows you to untie an animal to get water would want this woman to have to wait another day. And by the way, a day I probably won't even be here. Jesus, Jesus would be moving on. You think she ought to stay like that? At least for another day. There's six other days she can come. Don't come that day. Th- those hypocrites, those those ruler, the ruler of the synagogue, and all of them there that would allow this woman to be rebuked for for coming forward to be healed on the Sabbath. Typical Judaism. Typical self-righteousness. Typical law following. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. <laughs> I'm sure they brought forth their tithe that, Lord, that, that Sabbath. I'm sure they had brought their, their tenth that season. But you, 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 you neglect justice and mercy and faithfulness. No mercy for this woman. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide straining on a gnat and swallowing a camel. They're placing way too heavy a burden on people. Focusing on the day, Sabbath day, as opposed to focusing on the rest that's available through the Messiah, who was right there giving this rest right there giving this woman healing relieving her from her crooked back Mark 2 27 he said to them the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath so the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath these Jews they were wanting man to conform to the Sabbath 
and far beyond what the Sabbath, what, what, the, what the law actually said, more than that, but they were wanting man to conform to that. And he says, no, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, the Sabbath wasn't made for be something that I have to follow religiously. The Sabbath was, was made not for me to fit into it. It was made for me to be able to enter into the rest of God. That's what it was made for. This picture is entering into a rest. In Hebrews 4, it's very clear. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered the rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Those Jews in the wilderness, they might have been celebrating the Sabbath every seventh day, but they did not enter his rest. They did not enter his rest by obeying that command. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he says, they shall not enter my rest. These Jews in the wilderness will not enter my rest because they were disobedient and they did not have faith. They were trusting in their own ability to follow my laws. They can't enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today saying... Through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, so if there was rest available through Joshua and the leading into the promised land and the following of the law, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And what is the Sabbath rest for the people of God? For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from him. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. How do we enter into the rest of God? In and through Jesus Christ. That is our Sabbath rest. That is the fulfillment of the Sabbath law. That is how we enter in. We, we fully believe that, that the natural created by God rhythm of man is to have a day of rest every seven days and specifically have a day set apart for corporate worship but we know that our rest that we are even considering today is our rest in Christ that is what we rest in that is how we enter his rest it's not by following some laws for some day it's not about how well you worship today or I worship today. It's not how obedient we are to, to being a, 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 uh, a church that, that worships in the ways God has told us to. We enter the rest as we enter into Christ, and that is what we focus on all our lives, and we focus on that especially today, but it is not a Sabbath. This is not a Sabbath that we have today. It is the Lord's day. It is a different day. And it's where we remember that we entered into Christ. We were broken. 
and he'd lay his hands on us and we could stand straight healed because Christ called us to himself and he healed us. Not because we don't work on this day. The Sabbath rest that God, God was modeling was an eternal rest. Back to the text. Jesus' adversaries humiliated and the crowds rejoiced. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Karasakuno. To humiliate, to disgrace, to put to shame. And all the people's by the way, the peoples, the aklas, the common folks, the crowd, they all rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. What were they rejoicing in? The things that were done by him. Were they rejoicing in him? No, they were rejoicing in the things. They were rejoicing in the things that he did, not who he was. The crowds were rejoicing at the miracles. And here's another miracle they could rejoice at. They weren't rejoicing at the miracle worker. They weren't understanding that he was God and that they needed forgiveness of their sins. They just wanted some of the temporal stuff that he was bringing. And those that were his adversaries in that synagogue that day, they were humiliated. They were put to shame. Can you imagine again <laughs> being that ruler of the synagogue or those self-righteous Jews as Jesus calls them hypocrites and points out to them how they care far more for their animals than they do for this sister this Jewess who they don't care that she's been over they don't care about mercy to her they care about keeping the law even man-made law that they can make sure they worship rightly and ignore this woman and the mercy that she's received and needs now, for those who believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, that have eternal life in because they believe, won't be put to shame. Romans ten eleven for the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The, the rebuke that Jesus gave to that leader and to those self-righteous Jews put them to shame. We, we understand God's mercy. We understand entering to his rest. We understand that the eternal rest in Christ is what, what the, the Sabbath was pointing to. We understand that even today, we don't have a list of rules to follow. We rest in Christ today in a different way, in a corporate way. these Jews in the synagogue that were put to shame by the seed of David, Jesus the Messiah, Psalm 132, 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. If we, if we care about the law of God and expect the law of God to do something for us and we forget the weightier matters of, matters of justice and mercy, we'll be put to shame. 
They had their hope in obedience to the laws, even their own laws, and not the Christ, the Son of God, that gives them eternal life. They didn't believe that they, that they would believe that he was the Christ, what he was telling them he was, that he was the Son of God. And there was forgiveness of their sins to be found in him. No, they thought they needed to make sure that they followed the fourth commandment. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. What work was done? Was the work coming forward to be healed? Was the work, what was the work? There was no work done. There was mercy given. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed? from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Closing thought. Jesus took the opportunity to loose a woman from the bondage of her crooked back on the Sabbath in order to humiliate the pretenders who valued their religion more than they valued people. We don't want to be anyone who ever values our religion more than we value people. We, we really think we ought to be here the Lord's Day together to worship. We believe that's right and good. And part of the rhythm of our lives is to have a day that we, we specially focus on the Lord. <laughs> Don't fire burdens on people and make them think if they aren't here that they're somehow violating the fourth commandment and therefore they're not even right with God. I don't care how sick you are. I don't care if your kids are sick. I don't, don't, you crawl here. Jonathan, get here. Should have drug you in this morning. There's no mercy in that. There's no resting in Christ in that. But, 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 but don't make an excuse to go to your kid's football game or make sure you get home in time to watch the Bears or make sure you don't come back this evening because you've got to get around to golf in or, or, or make these, look, we rest in Christ. We remember that. We come together to worship Him and to remember that. But we... We don't fear if we violate the Sabbath that we're somehow sinning against God because there's not a Sabbath to violate. Christ is our Sabbath. He's our rest. There is a Lord's Day that matters. And may your conscience be convinced of that and may the love of God literally drive you to be here and to worship with the saints, but not because the fourth commandment tells you to. 
Jesus is still making straight what is crooked. Taking bent people bent over with the weight of their sin and causing them to stand erect in him. Not about this woman's salvation, but this is such a great word picture of broken people that Christ heals. May he do that even today in our midst, that God would be glorified. God will look great if he makes one of these crooked sinners in here straight. If you, if you can't look up because your sin has you so weighed down, look to Christ. I don't care if you've got a roll on your side or roll on your back. Look to Christ. I, I just was so ministered to when I thought about my own life and, and what this made me think about of my own life before Christ saved me and how how I was so proud and self-righteous in so many ways and when I when I recognized my sinfulness and, and my brokenness and my hopelessness and I and I sought the mercy of God to be found in Jesus Christ I literally stood up off the ground and stood up and could see Christ. Like, I, I was different. This miracle, if you can picture it in your mind, the reason this is written down, John would tell us, the reason that that's given to us is that you can see that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And believing in Him, you will have eternal life. That's why this miracle is written down. That's what we are to see. And what we are to see about the Sabbath is Christ is our rest. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your compassion that is so clear as Christ would heal this thought-to-be-despicable, wretched, sinful woman right before these proud and self-righteous, just passing beyond them, not, not healing them, but this poor, despicable, great sinner as they might have thought. Father, it's, it is so good when we can rest in Christ. We can trust in His righteousness, His perfection. Father, we can, we can hope in your mercy that we found through him. We can believe Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and, and that you've given us your spirit that will agree with that and call you Father. 
Father, may someone today know of their brokenness. And as Christ would call them, may they come and believe on Him. Amen. Stand and sing Him 170.